0: Uh, I have a very exciting um, showing stuff for you tonight. Uh, Tonight, my guest tonight is going to be Mr. Sean Douglas of the iconic Douglas family from the north of Dominica, from Portsmouth, Dominica. Uh, So, Sean is going to be my guest tonight. But let me say welcome. Let me say welcome um, to you, listeners. If you are a regular listener, I, I would like to welcome you back. I appreciate you always being um, present on a Wednesday to share the hour, hour and a half sometimes with me. tonight is your first time that you're listening to this weekend interview, welcome. I hope that you will find the conversation sufficiently stimulating that you too will become a regular listener. Let, let us... Um, let us go and take uh, a word from our sponsor play the character Anthem as you do and when we come back i will be joining sean sean will be joining me from dominica and we're going to be talking politics and other issues in dominica so stay tuned
1: From many distant lands our forefathers came some seeking adventure, some bound in chains. Through battles waged and fought, through victory and pain, by test of their courage, our freedom was gained. In homage to those. Us, the heroes of lands in the sun, we vow to join hands and to focus on building one Caribbean, raise your voices high. A stronger than being
2: New on the French side of St. Martin in Marigold. Vital Bio specializes in all kind of dishes. Oh yes West Indian dishes, chicken and rice and all that's nice and many other types of seafoods. Oh yes a one stock bar awaits you especially if you need a martini Vital Bio specializes in all your
3: favorite drinks In top quality for you. Oh yes, Vital Pio, brand new. Yes, I told you so. Lot 107, Resident Lamande. 54, Rue de la Liberté. Vital Pio, the number one restaurant on the French
2: side of St. Martin. Don't you forget to go to Vital Pio, the number one brand new restaurant on the French side of St. Martin.
3: Laris Place presents presents. the best of kings. Calypso Extravaganza in Brooklyn, New York is on again. Say it again the best. On August 31st, 2019, at the Tropical Paradise 1367 Utica Avenue, Brooklyn, New York 11203, featuring King Observer, King Scronter, King Caresser, King Hurricane, King Bob, and the reigning monarch King Dice. Also on the cards, Intruder, JD, Checo, Lugas, Sai, and Roadmatch King Sawa Sawa, Sawa, Sawa Sawa, alongside DJ Big Bam, Big Big with ben. a full performance by Exile One. Exile One. place. Just Master of Ceremony and Special Act by Ma Buttercup and Jamal of Jingle Jam Entertainment. New York, the Tri-State Area. This is
4: it. Wait, wait, my brother.
3: For tickets, call 917-865-6393 or 281-701-1589 or 767-235-7800. If you're in the New Jersey area, call 862-368-9301 or 347-564-6201. Boston, 617-785-4206. Toronto, 416-894-9754 or 416-684-0681. Bronx, New York, 914-522-6832. Queens, New York, 929-372. 2060 for tickets online. Go to www.islandeventstickets.com tickets.com. The best of kings, August 31st, Tropical Paradise. 1367 Utica Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. 11203. Only 50 bucks gets you in New York. We come in again! Come and take a cool out at the best of kings. Doors open at nine. Brought to you by Larry Splates. Larry
2: Splates standing for country.
3: You know, there are many choices when it comes to domain registration, web hosting, and dedicated servers. But I have to tell you about Jocko Hosting. They're simply the best. With their 99.9% uptime guarantee, 24-7 sales and support teams, you'll never have to worry. Get in touch with them today. They offer plenty of other products and services like SSL certificates, managed WordPress, and more. Call or click today, 480-624-2500, jocko.com. That's J-A-C-H-Q-O dot com.
1: Welcome back to the Village of Redemption, nestled in the lush mountains of Dominica. Everyone is at peace again, and all the loose ends have been resolved. Or have they? Something ominous is brewing under the surface in Redemption. Redemption.
2: It's official, folks. Dominica's new Prime Minister will be the Unity Party's leader, Reginald Black.
1: You little
3: malcassie!
1: Whoa! What's what's happening here? I'm so sorry, Robbie.
3: I haven't even been able to give you a child. The congregation are making a petition to get the board to speak to Felix Perryman. They want him back as pastor!
1: But you'll always be a low-class sorry excuse for a man.
2: I want you to spoil them for all them that kill my child. You need to end this rebellion, Robbie.
1: I hate my husband. He's cruel. 13
3: long years I waiting for justice. It's not coming for me. So
2: I will go for it. Why? What just happened? Felix! <coughs> now there is nowhere. You can hide from me.
4: But on that
1: side there is a son of Satan.
2: This will be a fight,
3: not just for lives, but for the souls of the children of redemption.
2: Everybody, take cover.
3: Hey!
1: Lord, protect us. Don't miss an exciting episode of this riveting drama of despair and hope through the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Redemption Road is a Life 101 Radio and TDNRadio.net production. Brought to you with the kind compliments of your organization.
3: TDN Radio. We play the hits and wicked old school jams to bring back memories. All
0: right, listeners, we're back. Thank you for staying for the break. Um, lots going on. We want to say thank you to our sponsors, um, the producers of Redemption Road. I know... We've been getting a lot of inquiries as to when season two is going to start. And season two is around the corner. Um, the, the opportunity for businesses to, to advertise during Redemption Road. I don't know if um, you realize that the first season has, is, has been rerun on uh, about four different radio stations, both in Dominica and in Florida. Um, there is a Jamaican-based um, radio station that has it running as well. So it's quite a, quite a wide listenership for Redemption Road. And so, persons who may have a business or a service who want to would like to take advantage, very very um, affordable uh, rates to to have to have your ad run. Uh, also, don't forget you can get your tickets to the best of kings calypso that's taking place in brooklyn go to island event tickets get your get your tickets online so that you don't you have to beat the hassle of somebody dropping off the tickets for you or you have to keep track of them you just buy your ticket online you get an email it's available on your phone when you get to the event you pull up your barcode it's scanned and you in convenient and trouble free check it out islandeventtickets.com well listeners as i told you tonight I'm very excited to have uh, Sean Douglas as my guest. Uh, He's on the line with me from Dominica. Uh, When you hear the name Douglas, uh, the first thing you think of Portsmouth, and the second thing you think of is politics, because the Douglas family is an iconic family in Dominica, and their involvement in the governance of of the country uh, dates back as far back as the 1950s, or even before that on a philanthropic um, basis, but in terms of organized politics, um, the the, the late patriarch of the family, um, affectionately known as RBD, um, was involved in politics, and two of his sons were prominent as well, um, Mike Douglas and um, Rosie Douglas, who who died in office as Prime Minister. Well, well, Sean is from that line of, of politicians and um, a family that has been involved in, as I said, the governance of, of Dominica. And um, Sean has, has been in the news, not really in the news, but in the public's eye lately uh, because he, he has been addressing some, a few public events and, and, and voicing... His opinion and his concerns. And so I, I thought I would bring him on and, he, and it's, it's opportunity to have him on. Uh, he has a degree in, poli, in politics and economics. He'll tell you more about himself, but I thought it was it's really timely because they had the, the budget presentation by the Prime Minister of Dominica yesterday. And so that will form part of our conversation this evening. But before I take too much more time, Sean, I want to say thank you very much for, for agreeing to be my guest and welcome to this speaking interview.
2: Yes, uh, good evening, um, Anthony, and uh, good evening to your many listeners and, and viewers across the world. I'm indeed um, happy inviting me to speak, um, to share my, my thoughts and my opinions about the country that we are, Dominica. So I uh, hope we have a very interesting
0: discussion. This- yes, I, I look. I really look forward to our our discussion. Uh, I I heard you speak in at the at the at, at an event that we had in um in New Jersey, uh, and of course before that, uh, I was aware of of you sort of in the political scene in Dominica. Not so much in the center, but a little off center. Um, as, as press secretary and then, and then afterwards as an individual and, and so uh, I had one other Douglas on before, I have had um, Eisenhower on on the program as well soon after Ross, Ross left uh, but I, I wanted to take a few minutes and um, just give the listeners a little bit of a background, let them get familiar with you and, and so um, place yourself in the context so that as, as this question goes forward, um, they can understand where, what, what, from what basis you speak.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, um, yes, well, yes. I'm glad. Uh, well, basically, essentially, I the early part of my life really was spent. A very early part of my life was spent in England. Actually, um, I, I was born in England while my mother was studying nursing. She had uh, just um, become an SRN and. Um, She got an award to study dietetics at Leeds, and um, she got pregnant with me. And um, I was born in England, in Cheltenham to be exact. And um, I spent eight months in Cheltenham and came back to Dominica um, at a very young age. And um, I went to convent prep. And um, from there, I went to live for some time with RBD, my grandfather. Who at the time was still, although he was getting on in age, but he was still active on Hamstead Estate. Um, he had Hamstead, he had Gap, and in those days, I think perhaps you know, I'm talking about the early 70s. We, the Douglas family, probably were at our peak in terms of the um, business. In terms of Hampstead Hamstead Estate, was a thriving coconut um, estate producing copra and selling copper for um, DCP. And, um, of course, we had grafted mangoes, the best grafted mangoes in Dominica, grapefruits, you know, and RBD prided himself as somebody who planted his on coconut trees. And, you know, it was a fully functional estate on Hampstead, and um, we had Gap estate as well. And, of course, we had, um, although RBD was born, not in Poson, but in Balata in the heights of, of Penville, that's where actually RBD came from, my grandfather. He had to establish himself with my grandmother, Bernadette Douglas, Nima Glow. Um, in course of itself, the Douglas Shopping Centre and the RBD Cinema and the Douglas Guesthouse. And RBD had a gas station, sweet drinks factory, a bakery. He tried his hands at many things. So I was, as a young boy growing up, saw RBD really, um, you know, you really, know, really very successful. Even if he was at the time probably late fifties going to sixties. I didn't know him as a politician, but of course he once. Represented Portsmouth constituency in the in the 50s, the 51 to the 57, on what was then known as the Legislative Council, and then of course I got involved as a young boy with, in politics. Um, at the time, Mike was a member of Parliament for Portsmouth. Rosie had just come up from Canada, radical um, politician. Um, you know, the anti-communist Syria was at his height it was difficult for him because in those days people were very conservative and you know so I only got into politics really at that time so listening to Mike and Rosie and and getting exposed to people like Patrick and John and Vic Rivera and and and, um, and, 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 um, and, the, and the others you know so that's where my growing in politics started um, and then I in the days when you know Lago was the, the mecca of Uh, political meetings, that is where, really, as a politician, you cut your thrusts. If you didn't didn't, um, rock a crowd in Lago, then, really, you're not a politician. So I went to Lago as a young boy, going into my teens, uh, watching Patrick John and Mike. Rosie came after, Eustace Francis, uh, Vic Revere, um, um, Eugenia Charles, Charles Sabre, of course. He was a formidable, devastating platform speaker. Eugenia Charles, Brian Allen. You know, so that I really really caught my teeth right as a young boy. I wasn't noticing as a little boy, but I really got to understand politics at that time and of course in those days you had Radio Antilles, I read the Caribbean Contact and read the papers regularly. So I got exposed to other political leaders at the time in St. Lucia, George Odler, Mantiga, The Birds and Tim Hector, Guyana Forbes, Burnham, again through the influence of Michael Rosie, Jamaica Michael Manley and all that you know morris bishop in brindle etc you know so really i really got interested in politics really through my my uncles and then from there i went to england at 17 um because my mother felt that i was too so engrossed in dominican politics so i went to england and that's where i really started to take my studies seriously and i did i, did, I went to college in in, in uh, manchester and then london i went to goldsmiths college university of london and then I went on to University of Westminster where I did a, a postgraduate diploma in broadcast journalism. And of course, I, I got to like the English politics. Um, what,
0: what, what was your undergraduate um, degree in? Undergraduate
2: well, degree was, uh, as, as you said, uh, uh, just politics, which I did at College, okay. University of London New Cross. And I really got interested in, in, in British politics because um, growing up in RBD and um, being exposed to like Uncle Mac, um they place great emphasis on oratory and speaking well and writing well. So when I got to England and I got exposed to people like Tony Ben and, and Margaret Thatcher and Michael Heseltine and Robin Cook and Arthur scargill Neil Kinnock and Michael Foote. Listening to those guys who's you know who obviously were, were orators, most of them, especially people like like um Neil Kinnock and Arthur scargill listen to were great orators. And I, I got Engrossed in the British politics. So much so whenever Rosie came to England and he did on a regular basis in the eighties, we would meet to discuss politics and I was always able to share with him my thoughts about what was going on in England at the time. So that was and then of course in two thousand I decided to finish um, finished my postgrad diploma in broadcast journalism and I thought it was a good time to come back. I was in my early thirties, I thought Labour would win the election and um, so I I came back to Jamaica on the eve of the 2000 election. And um, from there, I didn't get a job right away. I was writing articles for the the Independent, I think the Tropical Star, Mm then newspapers in England. And then I became press secretary in July of 2001 under the late Pierre Charles. Sadly, he died after a couple of years, more than four. And then Mr. Kerri took over, and I was press secretary for most of my tenure, as you know.
0: And in 2010, yeah, yeah. So, so that's your your background is you have a training in politics, political science, um, economics as well, right? No, Mm -hmm. right. Political science and economics. You also are a trained um, broadcast journalist. Um, it's yes. it good I, I had a very lively discussion two weeks ago with um, Steinberg Henry who, mm-hmm. who also has similar um, formal training in broadcast journalism and we were, we were talking about what um, what passes for, for journalism these days because, because the technology has come where most people can have a phone and post it on, on Facebook or or, or go live it has sort of even if it has decentralized and maybe democratized um, this spread of information it's also maybe watered it down a little bit and, and so I want to tie that into a question that I, that, that came to me while you were talking about um, Mike and Ruzi and and your, and your grandfather RBD having an admiration for oratory um, skill, for, for the ability to, to make a speech and deliver a speech and to deliver your message um, eloquently and with force. Um, so I don't want to go back and rehash the conversation about the quality of journalism. Where I want to take the conversation is the quality of our politics. Um, I, I just wanted to comment on that a little bit in terms of what, what passes for political speech um, an oratory um, currently. Is it that it's just that times have changed so, so, so what is required is different or, or do you I, I have the opinion that it has deteriorated but I, I want your expert um, or your, your mm. informed decision on that.
2: Well you know um, Anthony I can tell you that um, times have changed dramatically you know um, we just don't have the level of although people Persons now have more degrees now, and they're more "quote unquote" qualified. But um, when I when I recall when I recall the 1970s, you know, you had the electrifying team of, of Patrick and, and Mike and Vic and you said Francis, and you know, uh, those guys were orators. Vic Rufier, those, yeah. guys, <laughs> yeah, those, those guys were able to, you know, I mean. I mean I, I forgot Bernard Wiltshire no, Bernard Wilshire wasn't in, in Parliament but Bernard Wilshire is probably one of the most not probably, you know Bernard Wilshire is arguably uh, in the top two or three most gifted orators that the country has produced not just in, of his generation but in, of all time in Dominica and um, you just haven't got that right now you just haven't got that you have, I mean you have you have Roosevelt, Kerit, Rayburn, Blackmore and you know they just haven't got it um I mean, I mean, Skerritt really um, has managed to be prime minister for 15, 14, 15 years, and he has not had a serious interview, really, you know, because he's handpicked, you know, his interviews, really. He's not had a serious. He had an interview with the press, I think you had um, a few of them a year or so ago. But I understand the questions. He had the questions beforehand. He requested the questions. You know, I mean, you I, I know, when I remember Rosie. Rosie was a person who. You could ask him any question at any time, anywhere. You know, Eugenia Child, same thing, you know. Um, Jenna Moore, you know, you just, I mean, today, the politicians today are just not in the same league at all as the, the politicians of yesterday, you know. Um, I, you know they, as I said, they're more, they may be one like Blackmore who has a degree, yes, but he cannot speak, you know, cannot articulate, you know. Um, you know, If it was wrong in the 1970s as a, as a politician, you would never be selected as a member to, to, to run for a seat because you'd have people like Vic Revere ahead of you and and, and Black ahead of you. And you just wouldn't be able to get in. But now, you know, it seems mediocrity reigns. We haven't got that quality. You listen to debates in the House. You know, I mean, I remember when I was press secretary, um, at, on the opposition side, I always made sure I was in parliament to hear Edison James um, um, Judy you know um, on the government side of course the Prime Minister yes not an orator but you know Ian obviously is you know among the present crop Ian Douglas who, who would be uh, probably the, the best orator there but really they in a mediocre bunch his father Mike had to contend with other great orators around him mm-hmm. whereas Ian really is a star but among people who are mediocre he said is, so really we've gone backwards in, in, in what equality and the prime minister really has managed to avoid any serious scrutiny um, you know, exposure of, uh, right what's <laughs> that
0: I say he's been able to avoid exposure
2: yeah I mean, I mean Mr. Mrrett really is amazing how he's managed to um avoid uh, any serious scrutiny i mean you know i mean you have a, a you have dBS radio for example like with DBS radio the government has sixteen seats right now with the addition of um, the, you know, the Rozo North... Rozo
0: Central, that,
2: mm-hmm. that, You know, and yet still, they, they, um, they have a, you know, they are very careful as to what is put out on the BS radio. I understand that um, Curtis Murphy was on leave, news editor, for a few weeks. And I understand that um, Cecil Joseph was, maybe not formally, but informally, you know, was news editor, or certainly deciding what was put out there, you know. So the fact that they had this big majority they control the media because they have GIS, they have DBS, they basically control the Chronicle. They have control of um, certainly um, influence over Kyrie, Yet still, they have this fear of of the opposition that they want to shut them out. You know that all I just contend. DBS is, is a nation station. It's not a, a, a dominical party station. Yet the, the the nation station. And even when I was there, there was there were limits as to what could be put out. Um, in terms of opposition material on DBS, which I always found to be, you know, um, not necessary, that allow artists
0: to contend. So um, that, that takes me also into, into one of the topics that I wanted us to talk about in terms of the democracy, the state of democracy in Dominica and the outlook for democracy in Dominica. All, of course, the media and the press being one of the most um, critical institutions, uh, a, a pillar in any democracy that's that, that's going to thrive. So, so, so you've you've taken us in that direction, talking about the role of the media, and and how the government seems to exercise extreme control over over its messaging, and 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 maybe stifling of alternate messages. Uh, so, as as. While you answer that, maybe you can talk about your role as press secretary, give the audience a little understanding of, of what that what that position entails. But but you know, just talk about um, the control of information, the control of the media, uh, and what it means or what it can mean for our, our democracy in Dominica.
2: Yeah, when I was press secretary, what I found was uh, my job was I hosted a number of press conferences, um, press conferences involving government ministers, involving the prime minister, um, putting out press releases you know, on all government activities. What I found when I was press secretary, when I had press conferences, I felt that the media, you know, um, mainly I would say government-related media like GIS, CBS, the the media they, I almost felt that they were afraid to ask the Prime Minister hard questions. I always felt that they were what I would call in cricketing terms, bowling on the arm to the Prime Minister. I'm talking about especially DBS uh, um, and in the other sessions as if somehow when they when they covered Freedom Party press conferences, you know the workers party press conferences, they were on top of things, they were hostile if in fact aggressive. But whenever they had press conferences involving the Prime Minister, somehow, they became timid. And, um, you know, that was a, 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 a concern for me, really. Um, there were times I, I saw that certain questions that were asked and you could tell the Minister was uneasy. And instead of asking a tough follow-up question, the journalist would, would almost um, take retreat, not wanting to offend. You know, and um, that, that was an issue which I found that, you know, I said, listen, why, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, and it wasn't always, um, I mean, there was one case of, a, of, of a, we had a press conference, um, there was a, this story came out about this billion dollar raffle, which Dominica was supposed to be hosting this billion dollar raffle. And um, the, the press conference was held in the, in the office of the, it's a Julius Timothy, who at the time I think was Minister for Economic Development and Urban Renewal. And, um... The Prime Minister was there, you know, and um, Brenton Henry at the time, at DBS, he asked a very tough question, you know, and, um, you know, the Prime Minister, you could tell, was um, felt, he felt uneasy, that that question, very uneasy, but Brenton Henry was really, really acting, you know, and I remember a a day or two after, I met him at DBS, and I said, listen, Brenton, you know, um, you know, you, you know, if you want to succeed in this thing, you have to be... You shouldn't be afraid, and I, I really commend you for the for the way you came out and asked some the prime minister of very tough questions. But that was the exception, exception to the rule. Generally, I I felt and I, I witnessed that journalists really were very coy when it came to interview, when it came to asking the prime minister tough questions. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know the reason. Um, you know, uh, although the prime minister, as you know, is is, is very powerful, um, he has influence. Um, you know, so, I suppose, you know, I mean, you take, for example, like, EBS, Curtis Matthew, for example. Um, Curtis Matthew obviously can't afford to be too tough with the Prime Minister because the Prime Minister has the power to fire him, but um, he has the power to, you know, to, to, to reduce, uh, to, you know, to deal with him. So he'll obviously be reluctant to really ask the Prime Minister a tough questions. But I know in countries like England, for example, where you have journalists, they fear no one, you know? They fear no one, they come on and they ask tough questions, even if they have fired their consequences, they ask tough questions. But here it's, it's totally different. People are not depressed here, and we are not an independent person in America. Um, and I mean, it, it, and part of it really is because, as I said, the chronicle was watched by um, somebody who was close to the prime minister, so the chronicle clearly, once Frank Barron sold it, forget about, about independent there, um, you have GIS which is government, DBS government, you have Vibes Radio who is, which is owned by a, a government um, supported attorney. So the president of the Karelli, we have, you know, the prime minister really has been had an easy time because he hasn't had very really tough, you know, in the days, I only remember the days of Patrick John. You know, I mean Patrick had, had a, you know, the last two years of the Patrick John era. You had the Chronicle against him. Don't forget the Chronicle at that time, there was no other paper, there was only the Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And you had Joey Barnett, mm-hmm. who was the editor of the Chronicle. And in week in, week out, you had serious, you know, you had serious articles and and, and, and stories about the Pakistan government, you know. Uh, again, not, the, 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 not the press, you had the unions against him. his luck in the sense that he had the press basically in his back pocket for the most part. He has the Unions in his back pocket, for the most part, apart from the PSU. He has the churches, the Catholic Church in his back pocket for the most part, and most evangelical churches. So really, all the possible areas of, of opposition, he has it really, he has them muzzled and muffled and that partly explains why he has lasted so long.
0: So, so what does that, about the democracy part, the, 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 the impact, the potential impact on democracy? want you speak to that a little bit?
2: Well, I, I can tell you, Anthony, to be honest, Dominica, to me, in 2011, I wrote an article in 2011, Dominica, colon, a country sliding towards dictatorship, and people felt at the time that, what am I talking about? It was sour grips, because it was a year after i had been fired. It's only now... Nine years later, eight years later, people was saying, boy, now I'm seeing what Sean is talking about. We have in Dominica, really, what I would refer to as an elected dictatorship. Because really, I mean, Mr. Skerritt has managed to, he's in, he has 15, 16 seats. But the last election, clearly, clearly, Skerritt cannot say he won the election. He cannot say that. And what I fear in Dominica at the moment, I mean, in the, in the, an elected. Generally, the election process, the election, is the cornerstone, the ability of people every five years to vote for a person or a party of their choice. I, I, I fear that that process, believe me, over the years has been contaminating. We've reached a point where the party that has the most money most likely will win. It is clear the last election, maybe the one before that, but certainly the last election, that money played a critical role in how the election turned out. With clearly, there are seats like La Plaine and Grand Four, possibly St. Joseph and the character at at these five seats or six seats that would not have been won by the Labour Party but for the largesse, the, the, the pre-election watches of money that decided elections, so our democracy under threat. And it seems to me the last few months I have, known, I have witnessed, I'm feeling a shift I'm feeling a, a, a will against the present regime. But this regime, what they're concerned about is not is not is not um developing the country. They are about self-preservation. And they will do whatever it takes to quote unquote means that they have to bring in ten thousand people to do it. If it means that they have to get Haitians who've been here for three years and not seven. Who are not citizens, medium citizens, whatever it is, they have to do to win the election, they will do it. Our democracy, believe me, have never known our democracy under threat as it is now in Dominican today.
0: Right, and 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 therefore, <laughs> therefore, as a follow up to that, we we hear and we see evidence of the amount of of money that the government has at its disposal. I'm saying the government because it's difficult to distinguish between the Labour Party and the yes. government of Dominica. Um, so, 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 so what is the answer? Because they, they have probably even more money now than at the when last you did,
2: election. You need campaign finance reform. I mean, in France, for example, you, know, you can't just spend that much money. I mean, right now, for a couple of years ago, you must have heard about Nicolas Sarkozy. There was some talk of him being um, arrested he certainly was brought into custody by the French police for monies received by um, allegations, monies received from uh, some rich press. Um, in America, there's certain there are limits as to much monies uh, can be donated. Uh, can yeah, be yeah, but but, Sean,
0: but Sean, the thing is that we know we know that um, the Liberal Party government is not going to pass electoral finance reform. So, so. When I ask, was the, and what, "What can we do about it?" I'm talking about it in the context of the absence of those laws. Um, what, what are citizens to do if, if, if short of standing by and watch election after election
2: gets stolen? Dominicans, Dominicans. Uh, I, I think Dominicans generally, uh, we are not. Um, we're not militant enough. We, you know, things that have been happening here in Dominica couldn't happen in, even in the French islands. I mean, you put up, you put, you put up a gallon of gas in in Grand Martin by you know a few cents, uh, and there's riots. Dominicans, I find, we just take and take and take. I mean, I remember in 2005 at a rally in Trafalgar when the prime minister said famously, "Go to hell" is one of the damn business. I mean. I, I stood up there and I said to myself, "Well, uh, after I've been living in England for 15 years, and I, I know a statement like that coming from a prime minister, the next day you'd have to go to Buckingham Palace and present your letter of resignation to the Queen. I mean, you know, you, you just couldn't say those things. You know, um, people, you know, people in Dominica, we allow things to happen, and what's happened really over the years is that Roosevelt Keret has said things and done, and we have allowed him to get away with it." you know, we've allowed him to get away with it um, and um, that is you see, it's like a child who, who steals five cents today and you do no other parent, you do nothing steals a dollar tomorrow, you do nothing and then you find that you have a big problem on your hands because that child has not been disciplined, so schedule has been allowed to, to say things and do things and, and um, has got away with it, I mean I, I remember I remember um, Anthony in 2009 it was I remember the rally we had. I say we because I was in the party at the time. We had this rally in the, in the stadium. We had, you had Morgan Heritage. You had red plastic bag singing um, something's happening. You had in stars. You, you had midnight groovers. You had to bring in people from all over the country. That must have cost close to a million dollars. I'm saying, like, where is the money coming from? And this election, right, well, believe me, if you think that... Last election had money, believe me. I think this one believe me will top all of mm. because this guy is scared He will go for book because he Are we prepared to stand back, sit down and allow Scarit to steal election? That's what he did you might say rig, but it's more than rig is still basically because clearly the election has not being fought on a level playing field. The United States Party does not have the largesse that, that Scarit has. And don't forget, don't forget you have him and you have the government, you see, because it seems to be two. But the fact is, for example, we know that persons have been sold passports, diplomatic passports. Now, we don't know for sure how, how much a passport costs. And as far as we know, when a, passport is, a diplomatic passport is sold, where does that money go? So, I mean, those guys have millions at, at their disposal and they will spend it because if they lose power, Drago, believe me, they they will lose their freedom. They have a lot to lose. They have a lot to lose. You're talking about scary, it's not a scary, you know. The people around him, Alec Lawrence, Tony Easy Isidor, or McIntyre, all the people there. My good school, my old school friend Nantan, all of them, believe me defeat on election day 2020 whenever election is called believe me it will be the end for them that is why the what it takes the thing is i and what i want to know is that dominicans will allow those guys to get away with it i will tell you one last thing before i, I finish this, this answer last year i went to i was in rosewood with my nice friend and um when i went to macmillan garage uh well it was actually by Liz dry Cleaners. I noticed that um, there was the citizens' movement had a meeting about electoral reform.
0: Right, I remember that Saturday.
2: And I went to the meeting. About an hour later, I saw men with riot gear. I said, what is is that about? And before I knew it, fellas, they were exploding tear gas near a gas station i had to run for my life my eyes was burning me christian brother was there You had to run to the bedroom and we just accept those things know, back in the 70s in that under like, when charles savannah was in his pump at the height of his popularity anyhow the police believe me had tear gas innocent civilians the next day got, we got rid fallen the next day but somehow we don't become. We just we just accept
0: things but 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 you know we saw we saw the um, general secretary of the public service union making some pronouncements a few weeks ago that seemed like it it would have headed to a strike, and that seemed to have dissipated at least a lot of air have been let out wind have been let out of that of, of that bag. Um, is it that? Is it that the workers themselves are not, are not showing the support to the leaders? Which, which comes first, this? Is it leadership or the support
2: of the workers or the or leadership inability to, to... Before I answer the question, I'll tell you something. Public servants in Dominica, they have made sacrifices. I mean, I remember in 2002, you know, when we were preparing the budget, you know, and the IMF came and said, listen, you have to implement some very tough measures. You, first of all, you have to cut, you have to introduce a stabilization levy of at least 4%, but even that is not enough. And that 4% levy will be on all incomes, not just of civil servants, you know, but private sectors, employees as well. Plus, you have to implement a 6% cut in nominal salaries for two years, and civil servants, they took that. They took that. And when I look between, let's say, the end of the program in 2006 to now, civil servants have got 2% and 1% and 0%. You know, and I, when you think of the cost of living in Dominica, how it has risen, how it has continued to rise, how living in Dominica is a nightmare. The cost of living. And civil servants, when I think of the paltry, the insignificant sums they've received over the years, why aren't they out on the streets? While they are struggling to get 1% and 0.5%, you have people getting ten, twenty thousand dollars 20000 for a small business which they don't ever intend to open. they are buying motorcycles or buying, buying vehicles. Civil servants have suffered under this government. And yet, what I, what, what I don't quite understand, why it is that they have not come out in the streets. Because the government clearly has money. The government has money. The kind of money we have seen now, Eugenia never saw. Two years ago, the government made, in unfinancial year, two years ago, in passport sales, CBI revenue, $504 million. And even what the Prime Minister is saying in the, la- in the budget address of yesterday, I think the last fiscal year, he made 275 or so million. dollars. So there is money. There is money. Is not a problem. And yet civil servants, who in the early years of this administration made the sacrifice to get the public finances back on track. Now that things are better, not in terms of the real economy, but in terms of money, the civil servants have been offered insignificant increases. I mean, I think a part of it is, the unions are not as strong as before. Back in the 70s, you had Wahoo led by Zabuka, Closed down, I mean, the the, the port was closed down in 73 under Libla, for three months. 1977, the country was shut down, Civil Service Association by Patrick, by, by Savre. I, I remember the strikes, I remember the
0: strikes <laughs> yeah. for sure.
2: But you see, no, I don't know. I mean, you see, of course, Charles Savre at the time was charismatic. Right now, he's, he's on the other side, you know, so electricity very interested in rights. But we have I mean, Thomas Slater has tried his best, but perhaps he doesn't have, perhaps he has not been successful in persuading to um to come out. But like, I feel uh, I think that um times are changing. But what Scarit has done though, he, he I mean he has managed to buy people. I see people are educated, you know, educated people in Dominica who have been bought by this regime. So can you imagine if you bought senior public officers, He's not a junior public officer you would not be able to bribe, he has them. I mean, can you imagine a prime minister a few months ago a meeting, having the time to meet junior clerks? You're supposed to be running the country and focusing on the big issues of the country. I mean, you're meeting junior clerks to discuss. A uh, junior clerk is saying, well, prime minister, I've been appointed for 10 years, or whatever, you know. I mean, I mean, issues which can be dealt with at a much lower level. But
0: well, which are supposed to be dealt with through the union.
1: It's
2: actually,
0: it's actually a usurping of the union's think, authority think, to meet directly.
2: So he said, I mean, he said publicly, I run things in Dominica, you know. I mean, his arrogance and inappropriate dress. I'm not sure if you heard it when he congratulated you, and he told the chief that you will be, you will be the most successful, current chief. And then further, I'm quoting him, you know, not not verid, but I'm quoting him, saying, um, he said that. Um, I will, um, I will make sure, it, you know, I will make sure that whatever it is that you need, you need to be successful, I will make sure it happens. Let the government, you know, I. I. I.
0: I. And, and you know something I noted in the budget address, Sean? Um, the Prime Minister one time said the government and I reviewed the documents. Something that I Yesterday, when he was doing the, the budget address, he, he something was, I, I, he was we talking about the International Airport, or some project he was talking about. And he said that after it was reviewed by the government and I, so <laughs> clearly he made that distinction between himself and the government, that he's not, that there's the government and there's I, Roosevelt Skerritt. So even if the government or the, or the minister who has the portfolio reviews it, it's not considered reviewed until I, Roosevelt Skerritt, review yeah. it, and, and that struck me that struck me um, as very significant in, in that regard. But, but you, you worked as a press secretary for, for um, Roosevelt scary. And a while ago, we were talking about the way people seem to tippy toe and to use, to use a colloquial language, pussyfoot around the, the prime minister. Is the prime minister a bully? Is, is, is the Prime Minister a person who bullies the people around him, why everybody seemed to be uh, afraid of him?
2: Well, the Prime Minister, I mean, very early, very early in his um, tenure, in fact, a couple of days after he became Prime Minister, this Sun newspaper interviewed a gentleman who said that he'd shared a dorm or a room with was carriage when they were going to university. And this guy said, and I quote... Skerritt is a thin-skinned ladies' man who is intolerant of criticism, right? That is what he said about Roosevelt Skerritt. And I read the article, and then I, I got, you know, and I got to know when I realized that, you know, the statement was absolutely true, you know? I mean, very few members of cabinet um, can stand up Roosevelt Skerritt, you know? Um, it is, you know, people like, for example, I mean, there are exceptions like Julius Timothy, perhaps Evo Nassif when he was there, Charles Havre perhaps. But most of the others really, you know, Lauren Bannis Roberts, my cousin Ian Douglas, you know, when Sarah speaks, you shut off. You know, he, I mean, you know, he has this, you hold over most of them, you know, and um, an arrogance and a pomposity, which I found to be, you know, if not almost intolerable, because a prime minister, you know, you have to... You, 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 these are people, men and women, who are adults. You have to respect them. They have to respect you, yes. But he was, you know, he's a very arrogant man, and that has not changed over time. Has,
1: in fact,
0: has gone
2: worse.
0: Hmm. So, <laughs> let's talk about the budget address of yesterday. Um, what, what, what were your, what were your feelings in terms of, I mean, the whole budget address? Um, what did you see in terms of priorities? What do you, you know, I, I don't know. Well, just, just tell me what was your takeaway from, yeah. from the budget that was presented yesterday?
2: Yeah. Well, Anthony, first of all, I have read every single budget of this government from 2000 to, to, to yesterday's budget. Um, between 2000, 2001 and, 2000 and well, 2002 and 2010, I was intimately involved in crafting it, in editing, and all that because I was first secretary. Um, I made it my business yesterday to sit down and listen to the budget address, and this afternoon I actually sat down and read the text of the budget address. Now, you know. I can tell you honestly, um, you know, I, I I, don't, I, I listened to the budget address of an open mind, you know, I, you know, I said, well, you know, let's give the prime minister, let's hear what he has to say because, but having, having said that you can only, when you listen to what was said yesterday, you compare what has been said in previous years and why should I be optimistic about this budget when the prognosis or the analysis of the, the last, 15, sixteen budgets reveal a, a, a budget really of, of uh, a story really of failure uh, a colossal failure really so really you know when you look at in previous what was what has been promised over the years this government has promised a lot but in reality has delivered little so the budget yesterday contained some very useful initiatives but when I look back on previous budgets, I am not optimistic as to how successful this government will be in implementing what they say they want to implement. I mean, the prime minister, I mean, can you imagine Drago, right, right? That as far back as 1990, the Labour Party in its manifesto, Mike Douglas was still alive, Labour Party leader. 1990, he said, and I quote, that this country will not break out of this cycle of deprivation Unless we build an international airport, (laughs) he said that in 1990, maybe 30 years ago. In 2000, Mm -hmm. a week before he died, Rosie went to the UN as Prime Minister to address the UN. While he was at the UN a few days before, while we had ties with Taiwan, he had a secret meeting with the Chinese ambassador to the United Nations. And and I think Jean-Pierre was there, former mayor Pots was there. And in that discussion Rosie had with the Chinese, the Chinese agreed in principle that if Dominica switched from Taiwan to China, that China would build an international airport for Dominica. That was in 2000. You come in now in 2019. You've been in government now in 20 years. And you're telling us, that you go, you you have a, a, a company which finally from the name of the company. This company is on designs for airport terminal and fire this and that, and the designs you get it by the end of the year, and you know, by, and you're hoping to secure the um, to buy the land from landowners, hundred acres. I mean, you know, really. So that is the record. This government, a record of the we'll ask of promising we'll a lot, of, but we'll delivering little. That's not very to do my plans. Way back in 2001, Pierre Charles, then Prime Minister, gave Christian Gregoire the brief to mobilize resources from the OAS and others to start work on geothermal energy development for Dominica. 2001, we got assistance from the OAS, from the French Agence Française de Développement, AFD, FFEM, ADEM. We got money from the European Union, and we started this process of geothermal exploration. Martin and Godloop, we signed agreements with them, and all that. Anyway, we are not hearing about that at all. We're hearing more about the Clinton Foundation. Twenty years on, we now hear the government now is talking about again plans have been put together, and they will start the geothermal plant. A 7 megawatt plant, by the way, not even a 10 megawatt plant, a 7 megawatt plant, sometime <laughs> next year. And I can go on and on. You look at, you look at agriculture, for example. Agriculture has share of GDP in 2000 was about 26%. In 2000, now it's under 20%, maybe 17%. In 2000, we, we had 2,435 banana farmers exporting 29,000 tons. To the UK market today, we don't export a single banana to the UK market. The
0: UK market, yeah.
2: So, I was I was press secretary when Charles Savre said that the government wanted to transform Rousseau into the premier capital city of the OECs. That's what was when it was in 2009. Look at where we are now, 10 years later, and now you're talking about putting electricity under on the, underground on the and all that nonsense. So this is a government, as I said, believe me, that they have promised a lot, but they have delivered little. So while the budget may contain initiatives, for example, the state college getting additional monies, which I welcome, and initiatives in agriculture and all that, I just don't trust this government's ability to deliver based on the abysmal record of the last 19 years.
0: So, so as we talk about politics, um... <laughs> Your family, your family is a political family. I mean, we, we can we can say that. Um, Labour Party specifically. What what do you see has happened to the legacy of the Labour Party? Uh, I mean, I grew up as a little boy in the seventies when the election was going to be called. Labor, people will say, I vote in labor because it's labor, I labor in for my living. That's why I'm a labor I, I It's labor, I labor in for my living. And that's how, that's how they identified with the party. The party was the party of the people who work with their hands and work hard to, to build the country. And, and we see... I mean, last time I was in Dominica, I was surprised to see the amount of land that was no longer under cultivation. What do you see... What are your comments about the, the legacy, the, the reputation of the Labour Party um, as, it is, as it is present now as compared to when um, your folks, you know, your uncles and, and, and I'm sure friends of your family and so will running the Labour Party?
2: Dragos, mm-hmm. it hurts me when I see what has happened in the last, especially in the last 10 or 15 years, when I see that the work, the early work of Mike in bringing Ross, getting Ross, convincing Robert Ross to take the schooler from Castaways and bring it to Portsmouth because geese had left and there was land available and Mike was instrumental, he was pivotal in getting Ross to move to Portsmouth. There was a talk at the time of Ross moving to London Derry, close to the airport and Mike was the one who was the minister of government at this time, minister for finance and member parliament from Portsmouth, He brought Ross to Portsmouth. So the Labour Party brought Ross to Portsmouth, And Ross developed, nurtured in Portsmouth with about six students in 1978. So 1,300 students when they left in you know, a year or two ago. Amber Mike was one of the first people who had a restaurant inside of Ross. Modern restaurant, stainless steel equipment way back in the, in the early 80s. And Mike had a vision that, that Ross would develop. I'm not sure he thought that Ross, he knew at the time that Ross would have developed into this massive investment, but he certainly felt that Ross would be good for Smart and for Dominica. And to think that Ross came on well the labor and the history recorded that Ross left Dominica under labor, that to me is an, a damning indictment. And what saddens me is I feel that the prime minister let him talk about the member of Parliament proposal, the Prime Minister, Mr. Skerritt, did not do enough to keep Ross, or to persuade Ross to stay in Dominica. He was very ambivalent and nonchalant and indifferent, whether Ross said or whether Ross left. And to me, I mean, if the Prime Minister understood what Ross meant to Dominica, he would never have allowed Ross to go. Rosie Douglas, in 92, there was a crisis with Ross, where Ross apparently owed the government $4 million. And Eugenia Charles at the time said, pay the the $4 or go. And Rosie was the one who led a campaign. He collaborated and joined together with Ronald Amor, traditional enemy, Jen Amor, traditional enemy politically. Mamor had a wanted majority, and they managed to launch a campaign to keep Ross here. Ross, Robert Ross actually, booked a flight to go to St. Kitts, to hold discussions in the St. Kitts government, to move the school to St. Kitts, because the vet was already there. Rosie actually went on that same plane. When they got to the airport in St. Kitts, Rosie told me he carried the suitcase of Robert Ross, and he made sure that every meeting that Robert Robert Ross went to in St. Kitts, and he was there to represent the interests of personal people and Dominica. And Rosie went further. When Rosie when became Prime Minister in 2000, he was asked to address a graduation ceremony of Ross students in the U.S. Carnegie Hall. And Rosie went as far as saying he saw values Ross University and the students and their contribution to Dominica and the economy that he was offering citizenship to every Ross student, every single student. That's how seriously he understood the importance of Ross. There are people in Portsmouth who became millionaires because of Ross. Millionaires, people who were kinders, were able to build big houses and mansions. You have people like Addison Aaron, who used to make $4,000 a day selling juice every day. You a know, woman called Miss Betsy selling fruits. She was able to build a big house and put a big gate. They were to iron dollars a, a day in the seventies. And she became rich on Ross, Katina Benjamin, and I can go on and on. And this government tell me, they allow Ross to go and tell me that new school is coming. Some school, it may be um, partly financed by CBI money, some Indians some Dubai, and some kind of... You allow Ross, owned by Atalem, who have nursing school and medical schools all over the world in America. Assets of $4 billion, you allow them to leave and you leave us in, in Portsmouth, in abject poverty. I mean, I, mean, I have, I said I stood in Picard and I can tell you Picard, believe me, is, is dead. The only people have in Picard now are Haitians who don't have the disposable income that the students had. Have. They haven't got it. So I mean, on a Friday night, Saturday night at Picard. I mean, I mean more, a woman told me, Sean, when Ross was here, I mean, I was able to send my children to, to my daughter to two private schools in New York, not New York, So in America, paid for her last and we allowed Ross to go. I and mean, to me, you know, I mean, we, so, it was bad, but impossible, we suffered Maria and Ross leaving within a year. So so,
0: so, so in terms of politics, though, I mean, how how are the people of Portsmouth feeling then about the, the Labour Party government that has subjected them to that to that major loss? There's no
2: doubt about it that people are unhappy. Um, there's no doubt about it that. People are, are not happy and they have been they're being squeezed that economically it has affected them. You know. But you see, people voting labour in Portsmouth is like almost like it's like a cult. You know, some people for example will tell you straight that they are cat bidolegalists the they're Catholic and nothing making them live Catholic church. So there are people that have this thing there, their mother voted labour, their father voted labour, their grandmother voted labour and they will die with labour. And um, it's difficult to really change that mindset. Having said that, I feel the United Workers' Party will do better this election than last one. And last one, they did well in Portsmouth. they got 300 votes. I think it's time they'll do better. But it, it, it will take a lot to shift labor in Portsmouth. People have voted labor in Portsmouth since the 15th of August, 1957. So let's, let's, let's do, the cal- do the maths. And I do see that change in a hurry. You say, but, but you say, I, say you, lose, it will
0: take yeah. a lot, but losing Ross is a lot. I,
2: I know, I know, I know. You you, you wonder you really wonder really, about about people and how they how they think. You really wonder how they think because clearly as I said, Ross if Ross if Ross represented thirty percent of our economy in Dominica, Ross must have represented eighty percent of our economy in Pots Ross, and that has been wiped out. You know, and I, tell people, yeah. I welcome any school coming. But if you think that the days of Ross will return in your lifetime, forget it. Those days of Ross, when there was more money on the streets like Bill and me, those days are gone. You'll so, never get that back. So,
0: Sean, maybe what they need is a, another Douglas to run. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. I'm going to ask you about about where you see yourself fitting in the political scene in Dominica, if not this election, mm-hmm. but in 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 coming, in coming times.
2: Well, Drago, if I had to, if I have to run, you know, it it should be now, you know, because I um, I don't want to run when I'm an old man, and you know, I want to run while I'm still relatively young. I'm not as young as I used to be, but I'm still relatively young. So if I have to run at all, it has to be in this election. Um, I would not, I would not run against Ian, who's my first cousin, you know, because uh, I, I asked myself. What would Rosie have thought? And I don't think Rosie would have agreed to that. You know, um, I remember in the 90s, so in 1990, when, when Labour lost the election and people felt that Rosie should should um, contest the leadership against Mike. Uh, and Rosie was reluctant to to contest against his own brother. You know, Rosie said, you know, he said, I I don't I don't want to run against my against Mike. When Mike died in 92, then okay, then he, then he. So similarly, I, I feel it would it cause, the families are already deeply divided over this, over my political stance at the moment. Um, Many those who live here, because some of the most people most of the places who live here, um, not most, but some who live here, they, um, their economic fortunes are tied to this government. So they obviously are upset about my sons, but those who live overseas, who are independent of this government, by and large, they support what I'm doing. Um, but I, you know, to run against Ian would—I I don't think I would. Um, I, I don't foresee the circumstances that would persuade me. That would persuade me to run against Ian, uh, because I mean, Ian's father, Mike, was my uncle. But when I was born. Um, Mike came to see me in the hospital, and um, the nurse did not know who he was, and the nurse told him, um, congratulations, Miss, congratulations, Mr. Douglas, uh, you have a son, remembering that he was my uncle and not my father. So, you know, and then, of course, I lived by Mike for a few years. When Maria, when Maria struck and um, the gas was destroyed, because my by Ian, I said I, I sought refuge there by Ian, Ian's, you know, by Andy So, to run against Ian to me, I think, you know, it would cause too much... Emotional and other damage. Of course, Auntie Olive is like my second mom to me, Ian's mom. It would cause so much trouble. I believe I can help Tim Dominica and I can help the broad opposition nationally um, to a tremendous degree. I don't have to run. Um, But, you know, you never know what can happen in politics. Things you know, but I just don't... At the moment, I don't foresee... I don't foresee the possibility of me running. But, you know, nothing can be ruled out because life is so funny. I mean, nobody thought that we would lose two Prime Ministers in, in one term. So it's, it's quite
0: a yeah, and, and, and in all honesty, if, if something is burning, it takes un- un- unprecedented measures to pull it out of the fire.
2: You know? Um, I'll I, I leave I it there. Ian is, a, Ian is unhappy where he is, you know. Because I can tell you, doesn't doesn't respect Ian. He doesn't respect him. doesn't care much about him. Uh, it, it really puzzles me. I find it utterly bewildering why it is that Ian keeps on defending Skerritt in public uh, when he doesn't in private. You know, I, I, you know. To me, I, you know, I mean, I mean all Skerritt, Ian's cabinet colleagues, whether it's Mr. Skerritt himself, whether it's Austria, all of them done well for themselves. And I say well, well, that would be an understatement. Mm-hmm. They have done fantastically well for themselves. Unlike Ian, you know. So they have no use for him. They don't care for Ian. They use him. They know he's, uh, he's an orator, one of the best in the, in the parliament at the moment. There's a dozen talent in the parliament, so that, that's not difficult to, uh, to achieve. So they use him. They have no use for him. So Ian really is not happy where he is, you know. I, in fact, I can go as far as to say that let's suppose in election that Labour wins 11 seats. And workers ten. And and um and Ian is um, offered the prime ministership by Narcas Party to join the ten, Ian will jump on the chance. I don't believe he's loyal to Scarit, you know. It's just that he's afraid to make that, that that decisive move. Um for many reasons. But history I believe will be very unkind to Ian unless he leaves this regime now. I said 10 years ago, nine years ago. But, like do, you, but do you have that conversation with him? Um, no, he, and I, he, you know, he knows where I stand. And um, we don't discuss politics to be honest, what we meet, He knows where I stand politically, I know where he stands. Um, but I think that, you know, I think the time is approaching when I will, um, either I will, I will go and see him and talk, talk to him one on one. I think the time is approaching. Because I believe that what I am doing now, speaking out in the way I'm speaking out, is right. And I believe my kids in time. And if Ian cares about his legacy, and the legacy of his father, great uncles, and his great uncle, Rosie, and his great father, Mike, if he cares about the legacy, he would distance himself and leave this crooked, corrupt regime now. Because if he stays there, He's destined to go down in disgrace with them. It's not if or but. I have no doubt in my mind. Things take time. Scary has a lot of learning. He's managed to defy the odds. You know, he's been very lucky. But trust me, I see one end for Scary politically. He will go down in disgrace. There's no other, there's no other way for him to go but to go down in disgrace.
0: So let me ask you, let me ask you, um, because we're coming to the close of our conversation. Are there, are there more people like you who, who can stand back, who are standing back and looking at this thing objectively and saying, yes, I, labor is in my blood, but this is not the labor party that, that I stand for, and therefore, and therefore I, if this thing too much, I cannot support it? In your experience, in your in your conversations, we don't, I mean, you choose not to call names, but do you, do you, do you, do you have that kind of conversations with, with labour rights, not scary ties, but labour rights?
2: Believe me, Drago, I, I can tell you in the last three months or so, three four months. Um, don't forget, I'm a political, I'm an analyst historian following these I was about six or seven. So I've been following Dominican politics for, we're talking about since the 70s, and I can tell I can feel a shift taking place. Is it as powerful as the shift that took place in the last six months of the pathogen period? No, I don't. We haven't reached that point yet, but I can feel a shift taking place, and the number of people, professionals, middle-class people, people who are who were labour rights before. Uh, just waiting for the election to be called. Waiting for the election to be called before they actually declare their colours. Of course, they um, they can't declare colours too early because of the commitments. Can you imagine? If, let's say, with your civil servant, um, you have a mortgage. You come out and declare against scared now, and scared calls the election in May next year. Then you, you know for sure you're in, you're in trouble. So people are waiting for the election to be called, and when that happens, more people will come out and show their true colors. If that election is called, there are some people who come out, but on election day, they will come out and give Skerritt and his Labour Party a bloody nose. Are not, there are some people who are not like me, who are not gonna be, they love not come out and, you know, and be public. But on election day, they will come out and deliver their footage. I think people have had enough. You know, um, they just, some people obviously, they, you know, I mean, because you see, Scarlett really is somebody who, he is a man that his tentacle, he can reach very far. Or my cousin in America, who lives in America, told me, he said, Sean, in America, George Bush, what he the time was president, you know, he cannot touch me. Because America is huge. But if I was in Dominica, Scarlett can dodge me. Because, because Scarlett as prime minister, he has a long reach, mm-hmm. you know. Everybody knows. He's yeah. so careful. You know, you have people in the aid bank can influence. National bank can influence. Credit union can influence. You know, a druggler, you know, a supermarket account influence. So people, a lot of people really are scared. Uh, even people you think are independent and stuff—they're scared because very few people in Dominica are totally independent. There are few who, are, no matter what, they're independent. But there's some people who are not totally independent, and so they are reluctant to come out. But I feel there's a growing swell of opinion, a grown swell of support moving away from Labour to the United Democratic mm-hmm. Party and to the opposition, the opposition. And I believe that will continue. I don't care what he does. You can be a The fact is, people have decided that you've been in power for too long. You have not delivered, you have failed, and it's time for you to go. That's what I'm hearing. It will not be easy. Because he has the resources, he has the money to buy people. But I believe what's happening now is not so much about what I'm doing, or Lennox is doing, or Tim Dominica is doing. I believe... The hand of God is finally working in our land. For years, I felt that God was had abandoned Dominica, that he wasn't looking at Dominica. But I feel now, finally, that God's work, God now is decided, listen, okay, now is the time for me to be seen, to be acting. Before he was just looking at Dominica. I feel now, when you, when you look at how things have gone, how scary it launched this candidates in, in, um, a few months ago, pull out the Marigold candidates, pull out the PD-7 candidates, bring him back. Total confusion. And even some of the other seats that, you know, total, I mean, Scary I mean, has not been able to govern. He's been sent, most, most of his, is, I mean, politics, he has been on the front foot. In recent months, he has been on the back foot. And we have to keep him on the back foot until election day. So, So if you... That's... If you had to advise
0: the, the opposition, the opposition as a whole, Lennox and whoever it is, um,
4: what,
0: what kind of strategy would you, or, or what kind of approach, what kind of actions um, you, you, you will see that, that would be necessary, taking all, everything into account, the, the, the watches of, of, of security, his willingness to do whatever it takes, uh, and the, the limited resources of the opposition forces. What, what, what? If, if you if you were to appoint yourself advisor to the opposition forces, how how would you approach um, getting Dominic to this country that it's in?
2: I would keep I would keep pressing. For electoral reform, but I would do that not just in Dominica. I would do that by engaging the international community, engaging the OAS, the Commonwealth, the UN, um, and other agencies. Um, campaign finance reform, I know you not get that before the next election, but you you still have to keep on at it. about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think as well that. It's good to have rallies and so on and, and big stage rallies and so on, but you need to keep on, have your full soldiers doing the work on the ground,
0: yeah.
2: right? So while you are, you're having your big rallies, you have to have your people on the ground working in small groups, you know, and, you know, because people sometimes may come to your meeting, but, they, you know, in their homes or even talk about meetings, small things, but you have, and you have to keep the pressure on. Um, I think in the last few weeks, I think... Well, we had a few the workers' party. when well, you had Norin John's death, so there was a delay, and uh, you had weather systems. I, I think the, the, the momentum has to be regained. I think they, they lost a little bit of momentum already between the Bayfront Rally, and then since then we have had, had a major event. Well, La plane of course. Um, but you, you, need to keep, you need to keep the pressure on. And I, I feel as well also that you need to be... Um, I think a very important thing, yeah, I, I mean, of course, that—that that is a, a, a question, that is a matter for Sheridan Gregoire, but I think, you know, Q95 is not being doing in Portsmouth. I think that is uh, before the election that has to be sorted out it, to get Q95 island-wide, because believe me, the radio, those fellas have Kyrie, it is island-wide, GDS is island-wide, and they, that day in, day out, different programs, are his hosts and, and, and so-go fly and what and on brain and... You know, they, they pump in the propaganda. You still cannot get cue in Plasma. You do get to you on the, on the internet. I think it's key. So you need to, as I said, you, have your, you keep the pressure on. You have your town hall meetings, meeting in small groups. Keep the, the, the issue of electoral reform on, on the front burner. Also, very important is that the you Workers' know, Party people, they have to move through the list themselves. Go through the list and look through the list and see who is there and who's not there and who's should not be there and they're there. And now is the time to make noise and to raise concerns about this. Not, you know, now is the time. You have to be virtual because believe me, Spirit and his team and his gang, those guys, believe me, are not sleeping. So we can't afford to sleep either.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think that's a, good way, that's a good place to live it, Sean. Um, I'll give you the opportunity to, to, to make closing remarks um there's anything that we haven't spoken about anything you would like to emphasize um you know as we bring this conversation to a
2: close yeah. well i'd like to thank you for the opportunity to um you have given me or you gave me tonight i hope that um uh, the we were heard by hundreds even thousands of Dominicans. i'm hoping it was recorded and then replayed because i i see this really as an information sharing exercise
0: certainly certainly
2: I want to tell Dominicans this, you know. Um, Dominica is a country that I love. I was not born here. But Dominica is where my heart is. And in 2005, in 2000, I always, I never forgot Dominica. This And the direction the country is heading, where we are at right now, is not where we should be. You know, this government, believe me, they have had... Enough money, they've had the time to transform this country. Dominica should not be the most backward country in the OECS. Dominican economy should not be the smallest in the OECS. We should be much further ahead. I want better for Dominica, and I'm sure all Dominicans want better for Dominica. We can do better than this. When I hear people say that, you know, the Prime Minister says in his budget address that we have limited resources, we may have limited financial resources. But we don't have limited resources. That's we great. have water. There are mm. billions of people in the world today who don't. In China, and in India, are cities in India that haven't got water. They have to bring trucks every day. China, they haven't got. I mean, proper water. You know, we have geothermal. We have solar. We have wind. We have hydro. We shouldn't be in the a situation where we're really importing fossil fuels said in 2002 that he wanted Dominica to be energy independent by 2012 when 2019 and we're still talking about about energy we're energy dependent. When I look at people Drago, when I look at people in Portsmouth, people working for five dollars an hour, for50 an hour, struggling to send their children to school, struggling to, to pay for their children's graduation to pay for school and school books and and and, and shoes and this has this government made your life better have they really made it better when you look at it, you look at 20 years of hard labor and the same labor has done nothing but for 20 years what is their record in the key areas manufacturing dcp gone you know when you look at, at um and and you had um that that, that fellow in several Mackenzie solid paper factory there in in a bank place in in um, I mean yeah. That thing gone. Yeah, Trump best by gone. Rainforest yeah. aerial Trump gone. Sands on his his Street gone. Best by for gone, Best by Mary gone. You know what is the record? Can you tell me that this government deserves another five years in office after what they have done to the country and economy? And let me just say finally brothers and sisters let us vote not on, not on, on you know whether you like the pussy whether the person is handsome and all that let us vote believe me on performance and if you are to judge this government on performance you would vote them out right you know this party if they come into into government and they don't perform you put them out exactly. you have that right but you have given one party 20 years. And when I read the budget address, you, these people, they are tired, they are physically exhausted, they are intellectually bankrupt, they are brought of steam. they have nothing left. They have, this government has nothing left in the tank. All they want is to hold on to power to continue to enrich themselves. I say to you, brothers and sisters, let us give another party a chance. Let us give Team Dominica, the United Workers Party, a chance country forward. Because clearly, over the last 20 years, we have been moving backwards. We need a change. We need a fresh start. Dominica needs to breathe again. We need to see the back of his government and vote Team Dominica, United Workers Party, whenever elections are called. Mr. Drago, thank you very much. Thank
0: you very much, Sean. Uh, I really appreciate you coming back. I like the way that you Answered my question straightforward and candidly. Um, and I want you to come back, especially especially as the election season hits up, especially when it's called. Um, you're the perfect person to come and and, and really lay it out for, for listeners. So where they can understand it. You know, break it down that. So I thank you so much and I wish you all the best. Thank you.
2: Yes, it was great meeting you in New Jersey for the first time. And more um, I know that you know what you do and all that. Um, I look forward to coming on again. Whatever you know, as, as I say, my role—I see my role as—I did not come school to play politics. You know, I came here really to give and provide information, and it's based on information that we can make choices. Exactly. Thank
0: exactly. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, yeah. listeners, there you have it. Um, I told you we're going to have a very exciting and engaging conversation. And, and I think, unlike, unlike um, what the government has done, he, Sean has over-delivered tonight. Um, very articulate and, and um, as I said, very candid and unafraid. And, and we need more examples of that in, in a country where people have been called and, um, and, and really have to watch what they say and who they say, too, because so many of the avenues for people to earn a living have been taken away from them and therefore people are reduced to being so careful about what they say because of the economic implications so so we it's really a breath of fresh air to hear um solid and straightforward answers so sean i one more time i want to say thank you listeners i want to say thank you so much for for staying with me um the producers indulged me we did we did 90 minutes um so, so we appreciate that, but it, it, was, it was information well taken. And so um, thank you to my engineer and producer, Sam, and to you who come back every, ne- every Wednesday. Next week we're going to do this again, where we'll have another interesting conversation on this weekend interview. Good night.